Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home this week. Uh, We're going to get right to it. As you all know, I have been focusing on or making the focus of a lot of my discussions lately around the topic of coercive control and cult control and what's that all about. I've been talking an awful lot about emotions, emotional intelligence and the need for understanding our emotions, uh, the discipline of not just understanding them, but, uh, but dealing with them, experiencing them for what they are when we're having them, as opposed to running off and hiding and, you know, getting into a closet. No, I can't deal with this emotion and that kind of thing. Well, imagine my surprise when I am talking about all this stuff, doing all these things, and I am reached out to uh, to discuss a possible possibly to do to do this podcast we're doing today. Dr. Uh, Alex Wills is a, a psychologist, practicing psychologist, who has written a book, and I've invited him onto my show here so we can discuss emotions and an actual path of dealing with or handling one's emotions with some degree of intelligence as opposed to denialism and running away and hiding in a closet. Uh, this is a big topic. There's, it's, kind of, it's kind of important. So um, welcome to my show, Dr. Alex Wills. <laughs> Happy for you to be here. Thank you for uh, being here. Thanks for having me on. You're one of the first people to get my uh, name right. It's usually Willis. So thank you for saying Wills. I appreciate that. I should say, uh, I have to confess, I am also a legal drug dealer. I am a psychiatrist, but Uh, I swallowed a psychotherapy pill in my residency training. So psychotherapy is my passion. And that's really what I love to do with my patients. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, I have to say I am... um, we, not not the topic of this show, but I will just drop the comment that I that I do feel we are slightly overmedicated. I am not anti psychotropics at all, but I am a little bit against the um, you know just exclusively prescription form of medication, uh, and I'm and I am against the idea of general doctors, MDs, prescribing psychotropics. I think that's a I think that's an area where we run into maybe some of that overmedication. I see uh, train wrecks every day where I have to fix some issues that were, you know, coming uh, to me from from those situations. So I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what I was most impressed by, okay, so you have written a book and let's go ahead and get into it. And yes, there will be profanity (laughs) because (laughs) your book is profanely offensive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just kidding. I actually enjoyed it. Um, but why don't you go ahead and uh, describe, you know, what is this book you have written and what is the purpose of it? And we'll maybe start from there. Yeah, well, today is actually a great day for us because this is the publication day. Uh, it's officially released uh, January 17th, Tuesday, the day that we're recording this. So give a fuck, actually, the name <laughs> of the book. Reclaim Yourself with the Five Steps of Radical Emotional Acceptance. So I was inspired, you know, most people have read the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And although I thought there were, you know, a lot of entertaining kind of cool stoic principles in there, it started to rub me the wrong way. And I started to think, you know, a lot of this emotional suppression nonsense isn't very healthy. And that inspired me to really dig in deep and try to figure out a better way based on some of the Buddhist psychotherapy principles I'd been learning and some of the evidence-based therapies we do. Excellent. Yeah, and I noticed you listed some of those at the beginning. So it's clear that this is not just some, and I love the way you said, this isn't just some woo-woo, feel-good kind of approach. This is, there is science here. There is, uh, there are studies and evidence-based research that that supports the idea that you know, your ideas of, hey, you know, emotions are something you experience. They're not something you run away from or try to suppress all the time. That's a really important statement. I mean, you kind of you kind of got me right there because I have been coming from a place for quite a while now after going and learning about, you know, coercive control and, of course, cults and all the culty nonsense that goes on. One of the most powerful 
influencers, if not the most powerful influencer, is emotional manipulation. We are we are slaves to our emotions. We are driven by and influenced by our emotions. So I think this is a topic that is something that is very, very important to know as much as we can about since we're still trying to even figure out what emotions are <laughs> in some areas and fields. You know, you sit down with a neuroscientist, a psychologist, and a sociologist, and you go, tell me what an emotion is, and you're going to get some wildly different answers. But that aside, we all know what it is when we're experiencing these things. So what is this radical acceptance, you know, this emotional acceptance thing that you're, that you're talking about? A lot of people are familiar with the idea of radical acceptance. It's popularized in the DBT stuff from Marsha Linehan for dialectical behavioral therapy. Tara Brock, who writes about some Buddhist stuff, talks about radical acceptance. What I find is a lot of people perhaps misuse this idea as just another technique to do what I call emotionally bypassing. Mm. How can we get rid of those icky emotions? How can we not be sad? How can we not be scared? How can we not have hate? How can we not have disgust or anger? And let's let's radically accept our situation so that we don't feel bad anymore. And so basically what I did was apply radical acceptance specifically to our emotions. Say, wait a minute, what if these emotions are not a problem? I don't like to use the term negative emotion. I like to think of all emotions as intrinsically, they're there for a reason. We have them, they're trying to help us. So let's figure out why. Exactly. This is, this is actually a very, very strong point of common um, you know, agreement we have. I have um, come from a place in the Church of Scientology where Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard, the inventor, founder, writer, whatever, um, came up with a system of emotional manipulation and control that was quite complicated, quite advanced. And he actually took all a, a whole range of emotions. I'm not going to say all of them because I don't know anybody's list made a list of every emotion, but he made a lot of them and he uh, numbered them. And he put him on a scale. And he said, above this point on the scale is positive emotion. And below this point is negative or what he called misemotion. And one of the ways that you manipulate people with this is you treat, teach them very carefully that certain emotions are wholly inappropriate in almost any context. Anger, fear, grief you know, upset, apathetic feelings, um, you know, those useless kind of days that we all have. Um, all of this are categorized, all of these feelings are categorized as misemotion in Scientology and bad and wrong. And worse, on top of that, you have this additional layer of uh, you are the one who creates and is therefore responsible for all of your emotions at any moment in time. Well, that's just not right either because emotions are almost all response-based. So it's quite, you know, and we don't have control over that. It's what we do about it that we might have some degree of control over. But the nature of emotions, I believe, you know, they tend to take control for periods of time. So I'm, I'm curious, given what we're talking here about radical emotion acceptance, where do you draw lines at appropriate, inappropriate, you know, how, how do you see this in terms of how it's empowering to accept emotions versus how others have, might use that as a control mechanism? I want to get to that, but I have a quick question. Yeah. Are you telling me when Tom Cruise laughs with maniacal joy, there's something that not exactly true or sincere? About, I, I don't understand. <laughs> yes, I might be saying something like that. Yes. Okay, okay. Just, just check it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. All right, because he was my role model before this conversation. Just kidding. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I've broken <laughs> your uh, your icon there. Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise is definitely not what he appears to be. To answer your question, I find it very helpful. You know, there's a book called How Emotions Are Made, and that goes into the latest science about emotions, what they are. It's it's very helpful. However, practically, you know, we're living in the real world with relationships, so. What's going to be most helpful for us is to think about it 
kind of like a phenomenon. There's this phenomenology of emotions, and and we this, these are the some of the most sacred and important parts of being human. So let's look at the reality of what that experience is like. So I'm very careful to define emotion as that pure visceral sensation that you get in your body or in your mind that just sort of, like you said, happens to you. It's like we have this emotional antenna and you, you didn't wake up saying, I'm going to be all pissed off and angry today, or I'm going to have the emotion of hate all day today. It just sort of happens to you based on the reality of your situation, your relationships. And so all of the emotions are giving you priceless data, just like the colors of the rainbow. We don't walk around saying, you know what? I don't want to see red today. There is no red. Uh, I don't have red in my life. And, you know, I don't give a fuck about red. That would be insane. That would be, you know, crazy making or gaslighting yourself. Yet we gaslight ourselves with emotions all day. How many patients have I had come into my office and say, I'm not an angry person. I, I don't get angry. I mean... Oh my God, like what, who, what, that makes no sense. What would it, like anger, I mean, just stub your toe and you'll know that you're a human and anger happens to you as the swear words start flying out of your mouth, right? That's right. That's right. I, I, it's that level of the, of denial about our emotions or our emotional life that I find disturbing, you know, maybe, you know, maybe disturbing is too strong a word, but you know. Like there's something wrong there. And yet a lot of people, a lot of people have been sold on the idea that it's the, that the positive, good, normal thing to do. And I wonder, um, I don't mean to make this a gendered conversation, but I wonder, you know, it feels like it's kind of more on the men's side than it is on the, the, the female side, but certainly in both, with both genders, you're going to have lots of instances and examples where people are told, don't feel what you're feeling. Right. Exactly. What you're feeling is not right. It's not correct. It's not good. It's not appropriate. Therefore, you can't be feeling it is the immediate solution. Denial, cover it up, put a box on it, you know, put it in the box. And just like uh, the cults, you know, how they start to win when you get to program yourself, you become your own police person that's basically what happens is we start to drink the Kool-Aid and we start to tell ourselves, I shouldn't feel this way. Uh, you know, in, in classic Christianity, they have a term called orthocardia or the correct heart. You should have the correct emotion when you sing a worship song and you should control what emotional experience you have, or you could have the correct emotion versus not having the correct emotion. Right, exactly. And in, and of course, you know, my viewers will know in Scientology, that's been, you know, taken to a, to a fine art of, of uh, control and manipulation. So how do we ex- experience, I think the number one question a lot of people feel is, okay, well, what are you saying that I, that I just surrender to it and give over to it and lose myself in the moment or what? What does this look and feel like in a responsible way? So I define emotion, as I said, as just that pure emotion that you just, you have. It just happens to you. You just experience it. Doesn't need any explanation. However, a feeling is an emotion plus a story. And oftentimes the stories are toxic or they're just not true or they're not helpful. So we want to maybe question or disbelieve the story while still validating the emotion. A lot of times we might have an emotion of disappointment and we automatically go into that story. Well, I'm a fuck up. I'm a born loser. I'm never going to make it. This just confirms it. And my emotion is so sad. Then that proves that my story is true. And that's the big problem that we have to help people untangle from. Oh, that's a great point that the narrative connected with the emotion or the feeling or sensations could be off while the feelings themselves are completely fine or appropriate. How inter- what, a, what an interesting, uh, good point. <laughs> how do you now, as short of therapy, how does one go about or are there practical real world ways? You have listed, for example, five acceptances. I'm curious how that ties in with how we how one goes about using this material yeah so in the book give a fuck actually i obviously can't do psychotherapy with everybody and i use fictionalized characters 
to hopefully help people find themselves within the examples and stories. The five acceptances take you through step-by-step on how you can really quickly in real time simply become aware of what your emotions are, try to get that emotional data, learn from it, act on it or not act. Oftentimes you don't need to do anything. You don't need to throw a cat out the window or whatever the behavior might be. And finally, my favorite step is the last one, which is to have gratitude for the emotion. Because if you can find sincere gratitude for sadness or fear, that's the magic that helps you to get at peace with reality. There's no longer a problem. You see that there's a purpose for whatever the emotion is and no matter how intense it is. Yeah, I and I liked that. I liked that approach because if you're not honest in, with yourself and assessing how you feel and experiencing that, then to that degree, you're living in either a kind of a denialism or an oppressive suppression situation for yourself. And I, I of course, know exactly what that feels like, did it for years and years and years. How would you say this kind of thing works, though, when we are faced with certain responsibilities and problems in our lives? Like, this isn't the sort of thing you can do. Well, how, you know, what are the limitations of this? What have you found as far as where does this go in helping people and where's the point where maybe something more is needed in, uh, in expressing or having a healthy emotional life, I guess? Right. I don't want to give people the idea that there's some kind of easy button or sort of magical trick that's just going to take away everybody's problems. Right. However, having a better relationship with your own emotion, no matter what your mental illness or lack thereof may be, is almost always a good thing. The defense mechanisms, step number one is to drop the fuck shield or to recognize that you have defense mechanisms or shield emotions. And so realizing that sometimes those defense mechanisms are good. If you're in a life or death situation, you need to power through, you need to rescue somebody. You don't really want to sit down and cry at that moment. You got to be tough, right? We don't want to be in that fight or flight or, you know, super tough mode 24 seven. And so once we get behind that shield, we can kind of see what what were those raw, vulnerable emotions that were going on underneath that so that we can get a better understanding. Right. Good. So we're not here talking about or suggesting that people change so much that they become ineffective or useless in emergency situations <laughs> or something like that. Right. So we got to You still have to learn. And again, this is I, I think personally from my own you know view of this. I think it has a lot to do with 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 judgment and with with sort of the 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 rhythm or pacing of your life. You know, it's okay. Well, maybe I can't, you know, deal with this right in this moment because there's an emergency. There's a situation that has to be dealt with, but that doesn't mean because you pack it away for a few minutes or for an hour or two or whatever the emergency is that you don't then deal with it later rather than oh well, you know, I don't have to deal with any of that. Yeah, yeah. The problem is I have patients that have packed away anger for 20 years. Right. They they literally are in denial that they have ever even experienced the emotion of anger in the last 20 years. Wow. We don't want to live our lives in denial of, hey, we're humans, we have emotions, they flow like waves, they come and go. Sometimes they're tsunamis, sometimes they're very calm. That's it. It's it's not a problem. You know, the subtle art of giving a fuck creates this entire huge problem where I got to pick and choose what I give a fuck about and emotions are overrated. It's like, no, emotions are really the essence of being human in our relationships. Imagine being human and living your life without having emotions, without being connected to people. It's it's not human. It, well, exactly. Uh, and, and I think what you just said echoes the exact basic you know, sort of uh, approach I I have with this, right, is that emotions are undeniable, irrefutable, and unstoppable. And so instead of trying to refute them and stop them and deny them, maybe we should instead try to listen to them and deal with them. It reminds me, you know, I always always sort of go back to this one because it's something I think everybody can get their head around real quickly is... um, is eating, you know, it's like, it's like that. It's like, you can deny, you know, oh, I'm hungry right now. Well, I'll put it off for a little while, but 
you don't have that long. You know, you've got to really deal with it. It's something your body is doing and it's not going to stop just because it's inconvenient or a problem for you or socially awkward, you know? So I really think learning how to deal with this is a, is a really stronger approach. I like that analogy about the hunger. It's very true. Yeah. Thank you. How do you go about education on this topic? Because I imagine, you know, you can't have people diving into the literature on DBT and things like that. How do you put together material that helps people understand? Is that what this book is? Are there other things you've used? One of the greatest challenges and joys in psychotherapy is you're taking all this academic stuff and these theories and the science and you're making it real for the person's life. You're helping the rubber meet the road. You're helping them to get coached into making this a reality. We're not here to just educate them and say, hey, here's this new philosophy, go study it, or you know, follow these five steps and, and it's gonna be easy peasy, but it's about really helping them embody the truth. And my job is really to connect people with themselves, connect people with all of themselves, their emotional self. And after that, I don't really need to give people advice or tell them what to do or help them because they kind of already know what to do once they're tuned into their own emotional compass. Perfect. And what sort of things do you run into? You know, I've gone the full gamut of you know, discussing or talking about emotional needs, the fact that we have them, they're real, they're not a, a bug, they're a feature, they're something we're supposed to have, we're supposed to experience these things. Um, but they're, of course, therefore very easily manipulatable to get us to, you know, dance to somebody else's tune. So when you run into somebody who comes into you for therapy or advice or something, and they don't even know they have emotional needs, where do you, like, cause that's, cause that's one thing I've run into in talking about this is some people are just like, wait a minute, I have what? So, <laughs> so sometimes square zero is, is, is really where you're starting. What has been your experience with that and how have you dealt with it? Yeah, I define desires, emotional needs, preferences, as a type of emotion, right? I don't know why I happen to love chocolate ice cream, but I don't really care too much for mint ice cream. It's just some part of me that has this desire, this innate desire for something. And tuning into those desires and seeking to somehow fulfill whatever our desires, preferences, emotional needs might be is really essential for mental health. And I don't use the word emotional need lightly because it is a need. If you don't believe it, try to live without getting it fulfilled or at least having hope that you can get it fulfilled. You will end up suffering with depression, anxiety, addiction, alcoholism. You will have mental health problems because you're living in a state of suppressing your desires for whatever it is that you want. That's right. I could not agree more. I, I happen to think that it is uh, bedrock to understanding so many of the mental health issues and problems that people experience these days. So, so let's say you have begun a series of, uh, or you're begin a course of therapy, or you've been, or you've been working with people, or or people are interested in this and and want to know what can they do for themselves. In other words, what are the steps? What are we What are we doing here? in applying and learning and applying radical emotion, emotional acceptance. Yeah, if you'd like, we can run through the steps kind of yeah. briefly as sort of an overview. Yeah. Uh, we kind of touched on step number one, which is to drop the fuck shield, recognize that you are using defense mechanisms, you have defense mechanisms, anger, humor, um, these emotions can shield us from more vulnerable emotions underneath. And if we are able to look deeper, if we're willing to look deeper, we can get to step number two, simply name the fuck, name the emotion, list out. I'll have my patients just simply in 10 or 20 seconds, I'm like, okay, list out your top six or eight emotions right now and their intensity. It's like, okay, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling regret. And, and you can list them out very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, that's such a powerful thing. 
I know so much more about that person after 10 seconds than I would if they talked to me for an hour telling me the long, long story of he said, she said, whatever drama is going on. So we cut through the drama, we get straight to the emotion. You can do this for yourself and you can do this for your significant other in your relationship as you communicate about each other's emotional states. Again, just in, in real time, very quickly. Uh, we get to step number three next, which is to listen to the fuck. Just try to get the wisdom. What are these emotions? What is this emotional data trying to teach us? How can we learn from it? What is my wisdom? What is the best thing to do or not do? Which brings us to step number four. Act on the fuck or don't act on the fuck, depending. You can decide, do I need to ask for help? Do I need to take action? Do I need to meditate? Do I need to take a break? You can make the most emotionally informed decision about what to do based on the emotional wisdom. And then finally, step five is to thank the fuck or try to find that sincere gratitude for these negative emotions and these painful emotions that you so desperately needed to fix and get rid of before. Find gratitude and thank them, take them as part of yourself, welcome them because they're part of you and they're trying to help you. So in the war with yourself. Nice. Okay. I'm reminded of the um, five stages. I know you mentioned that in your book as well. How, it, it, was your research or work on this related to that in some way, or is that just sort of a coincidental connection? Like the five stages of grief? Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. The five yes. stages of grief. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Those. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, steps and stages out there. Oh, of course. I'm was, so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, yeah, it was just a really convenient, like, as I was actually writing the book, it wanted, wanted to make it accessible, applicable. I think a lot of us have liked some of those books, like, you know, follow these three steps or, you know, the, the seven second rule, these kinds of things that can actually, you know, you, you can take and apply in your own lives. And so the steps and the acceptances were created as a way to make it more accessible to people. But those really were the five sort of core truths. And yeah, there's some similarities with like the stages of grieving and so on just recognizing that these different stages happen. And just like with the stages of grief, you don't have to go through them in a linear way. In fact, you often don't. You can right. bounce back and forth between you know, denial, acceptance, bargaining, all of those things. And the same with the five acceptances for radical emotional acceptance. You can start on step number five and practice gratitude for the emotion right away. You can just you know stay stuck on step number three trying to find that emotional wisdom. You don't have to go through every single step every time. Right, that makes sense. And like the five stages, and as you mentioned, you kind of bounce around between them. And that includes, of course, this idea of acceptance, that there's going to be some sort of graduation or final stage where it's all going to kind of resolve and you're not going to have to deal with this anymore. And I haven't found that to particularly be exactly how it works in the real world and acceptance is something that comes and goes and, and some days are better than others, if you know what I mean. And so maybe we come to a place of acceptance, but then maybe a month later, we're still stewing in some stuff again. And maybe we have to go through some things again. How do, is that what you find true with, uh, with how you're dealing with your patients? Yeah, with radical emotional acceptance, it's a bit paradoxical because we are accepting that some days you're going to be on your raft in the ocean and it's going to be calm waters and that might be very pleasant. And some days you're going to be in a tsunami. And if you want to become good at surfing, you're not going to fight the wave and win. So instead of trying to you know, get rid of the wave and fix the wave and pretend that you're not on a wave, it's better to just become a good surfer. So radical emotional acceptance helps you to be at this like Zen peace while you're simultaneously surfing a tsunami. An example from my life, I recently went through a pretty horrible situation with my company and I had several days of extreme fear that I did not, I would rather not have, of course, if I were God, none of us are God. So we get to, you know, experience these emotions that we don't get to play God with. And in the midst of this, I was practicing radical emotional acceptance because I try to practice what I preach. And I was surfing this tsunami of fear relatively at peace, although I knew that I was going to be on this wave for several days because of the situation. I didn't try to fix the fear or get rid of it. 
by having gratitude for the fear, the fear actually helped me to be aware, alert, ask for help and get the guidance I needed to navigate out of this situation. So having that sincere gratitude really helped me be in a state of peace simultaneously with extreme fear. So if that can be possible, you can do that with pretty much any emotion. Yeah, I agree. Would you agree that it requires a degree of discipline to be able to do something like that? I like to reframe things. I think so. The answer is yes. Uh, discipline, you know, when I'm working with patients, it sounds, it sounds tricky. I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't want to discipline. I, I think of more, I think of it as a simple choice. You know, you could, you could choose to wage war against yourself and fight your emotions and complain all day and be a victim because I can't live with this fear anymore. Or you could simply choose to say, Hey, this fear is here for a reason. Let me be curious about it. Let me make friends with it and see how it can help me. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I, I know the word discipline is an unfortunate choice, but I just can't come up with a better one for the concept of what I try to get across. Because I, I analogize critical thinking and emotional intelligence, and I kind of package those things together a little bit. Other people don't so much. But I'm thinking that if you don't practice it, like a martial art, if you don't practice it, you can study how to throw a punch, but if you don't do it, you're never going to get good at it. You're never going to win a fight. And, and with it, with emotional intelligence and with, and with this um, approach of accepting and experiencing and, and dealing with your emotions in an honest and full way, it seems that there is some degree of fortitude, courage, honesty, you know, even, you know, even we can even bring in concepts of integrity in terms of how one goes about dealing with themselves and their inner life. And I'm wondering, because we like to lie to ourselves a lot, if we're being honest, (laughs) how do you deal with this with your patients or how do you encourage people in the, in the, in the broad world to overcome their fears, their doubts, their, I don't want to, the, oh, it's too hard. Oh, I don't want to do that right now. Or just simply, you know, forgetting how to do it and just kind of losing it for a little while and then kind of feeling bad afterwards. And ah, I didn't do that right. And then that comes another cycle of, of self-invalidation. So how do you, how do you, how do you encourage and, and help people with that? I like to be humble and honest and share I, I created the freaking book and it took me a couple months of practicing what I preached and, and choosing, just making it a habit. And, and I do like the word discipline because it does convey that, that reality, making it a habit intentionally of rewiring the way that you, you think your relationship with your emotional brain, instead of, I got to control, I got to fix, I got to avoid you're having this arms wide open welcoming. It takes a while to wrap that around your head and to really make it real. And with with therapy, I love people will come and they will have their stories and they will have their successes and they'll have their failures. And each time we just get a, it's like coaching. It's like learning a new sport. You say, okay, so what alternatively could we have done to have a better relationship with our emotion in the midst of that problem or, or shortly thereafter, you know, after you blew a fuse or whatever happened. So just, again, making it a very easy, simple choice, uh, an alternative that can work rather than being punitive or, or getting down and, and, and trying to make it like a very hard kind of task. It, it's, it's easier to think about as like, hey, here's this alternative. Let's keep trying it and see what happens. Yeah. Okay. And then what about when there is emotion-based trauma in a person's past that they are leery of or worried about approaching or going near or they feel might be um, a bit too much to deal with, and yet they feel, well, this is, you know, and I've heard this a few times in a few different ways. I'm not trying to be super, super specific. I'm trying to think of like, well, you know, a lot of people think that there's, um, some kind of big trauma or problem or abuse in their past, and, and there often is, um, and they're trying. They struggle to deal with that in the here and now. 
So I guess I'm asking, what's this sort of relationship between, okay, I know I got some stuff that maybe I should deal with in therapy, but I still want to do this in the here and now. How do I deal with those landmines, so to speak, in, in, my, in my emotional past? Right. I should say that we do take PTSD, severe trauma, these medical mental health conditions very seriously. And we do encourage people to get a high level of professional care that they need. We don't want to just say, hey, follow this simple thing and it's going to fix all of your past traumas or whatnot. Of course not. Right. However, having a better relationship with our emotions is almost always helpful. With past traumatic memories, traumatic events, the end goal of the trauma therapy is to allow the patient to still have their memories because you're not going to delete anybody's memories. You can't go in there and just like, you know, cut all that out. So they're still going to have the memories of what happened and they're still going to have emotions come up about what happened as they should. And to come to a place of peace about that, you know, there was a patient I had that went through a horrendous breakup to the point that they were suicidal after this breakup their fiance left them and they thought that they were going to live forever with this person. And they were just waiting for a bus to hit them. They couldn't wait for that to happen. So in this person's subjective reality, it was pretty much as bad as it could get for them. However, years went by and they couldn't even think about this relationship without this intense, painful sadness and regret and anxiety of what, you know, what went wrong. It shouldn't have gone wrong. I wish I should have been with this person just desperately clinging to this fantasy of happily ever after that was never to be, right? Right. However, by practicing radical emotional acceptance, they've come to the point of when they think about this person, yeah, there's still a wave of sadness. There's still a wave of emotion. And that's okay because that's reflective and it's proportional to how much they love this person and so it's no longer a problem so there still is that emotion and it's also accepted and it will come and go it's really it's really no problem now it's just part of the the full picture of life interesting very interesting and yeah that's exactly kind of where we want to be moving people towards with this is so it's not so traumatic what about things like um where you're dealing with, how do you, how do you navigate or try to, you know, I guess I'm asking what would be some principles or what would be something people could use in trying to navigate emotional disorders or issues or problems, either depression or long-term anxiety issues that bring in a lot of worry and fear and upset at random with almost, with seeming no conscious trigger. It's just suddenly feelings are happening and they are strong and sometimes overwhelming does this have any application in that direction? Right. Having a better relationship with our emotions can always be helpful. Everyone's different. Everyone is quite unique. I love doing mental health because every single patient that walks through the door is another mystery to figure out, another novel to read, and, and I love it. No two are exactly the same by any means. Mm. However, there is, you know, biological depression, biological anxiety. There, there are severe diagnoses that need to be evaluated by a professional. Mm -hmm. However, I do find with the majority of folks that come to see me, there's a lot of room for improvement with their own relationships with their emotions. A lot of people who have anxiety disorders and panic disorders, for example, their relationship with fear is pretty much like, I'm going to control you. I'm going to master you. I'm going to avoid you or fix you. I'm going to live a life without fear. And it blows up in their face and they're incapacitated because they have so much anxiety. So if we can teach them how to have love and gratitude for the emotion of fear, then all of a sudden there's no more problem. And oftentimes they can get off of medications. Nice. Wow. So there has been sometimes this approach has opened up doors that maybe the person thought were never going to even be, they didn't even know there was a door there, right. <laughs> much, less, much less that they could open it and, and get some help with that. So that's actually really good. I was wondering what sort of things surprise you or what sort of things surprise them in, in the process of, of learning and applying this. Right. It's often surprising how 
easy it can be. There was a teacher, uh, Noah something. He had a group called uh, Refuge Recovery for uh, addicts or alcoholics. And he had this little saying that it's a roadmap problem. The reason that people aren't getting better when it comes to addiction or mental health issues is because they haven't been given the right roadmap. Anybody can follow a roadmap and make it to the right destination if they have the right roadmap. So I like to think of things as, okay, this person has tried everything, but they're not getting where they want to go. So let's look at it and see, can we give them a better roadmap? Is radical emotional acceptance the right roadmap for you? And let's get you to where you want to go. And then they take off running. You don't really have to do much because now they have the proper instructions instead of getting sucked down rabbit holes of, you know, spirituality or cult stuff. Or, I mean, everybody out there has an answer for how to make you happy, how to fix your problems. And they're, they're selling it all over the place, you know? Oh, very much so. Very much so. And I think it's that acceptance point or, you know, part of this that appeals to me so much because we seem to live in a world of an awful, that is modeled around an awful lot of denial, you know? Um, as a general rule, outside of even therapeutic models, just in the world at large, it's just sort of, well, things aren't the way we want them to be. But instead of just dealing with the reality of that, it's, well, no, I'll put this facade or picture in place instead, and I'll just look at that. And, and that's how the world actually is, whether, you know, whatever mosaic you're creating, whether it's L. Ron Hubbard's Thetans and, you know, operating Thetans and all that, or whether it's you know, some religious answer or some metaphysical answer or whatever. Even even science people can do this. They get you know they get all delusional about it. And you know, science will fix everything. And they're like, mm, not, not not quite everything, you know. Um, so it's hardly surprising that we would do that with ourselves at an individual and micro level with our own emotional life. Social pressures and stuff seem to be a big um, influencer on that, you know, when to behave, how to behave. You're taught these things as a kid. What do you find though? I mean, I'm sort of throwing things out here, but what do you find as the biggest barriers to entry in getting people to look at, be aware of, even open up about their emotional life? I sit in a pretty privileged position because by the time folks get to me, they're ready for help. Ah, uh, if you go out there, talk to your friends, relatives, you know, people on the street, a lot of people are not ready and, and you might be throwing your pearls before swine, so to speak. Right. A lot of people come to see me, for example, because their wife or their husband made the appointment for them. They're like, you need help. <laughs> and, so, and they're very reluctant to, to see me. However, you know, we work on building rapport as a main thing with therapy and we try to get to the heart of, you know, what emotions are going on and why are you discontent? It's, yeah, it's, it's always a great challenge. It's another puzzle to solve, right? Absolutely. Well, let's take a look at maybe a, maybe a more specific example, like somebody who comes with like an anger management issue, for example, or an anger problem. Like we don't want, you know, the idea here is not, oh, good. Well, all anger is great. We're just going to accept all of it. And you can just go Hulk fest anytime you want down at the mall or at the restaurant or whatever. Have at it. It's all good. We're accepting your anger. I don't think that's where we're going with this. So how, how do you approach and deal with something like that? Absolutely. And anger is such a great example because it's a very easy emotion to get in touch with. That's why it's the prime example of the shield emotion when you're angry, no one's going to fuck with you because you'll kill them. You look, you're in charge. You're the Hulk, right? right. So yeah, I want to be angry because yeah, people are intimidated. They're going to back off, right? So underneath the anger, we try to get to those vulnerable emotions that are happening. And of course, we want to be very careful to separate out the, the behavior. You know, step four is to act on the fuck. So we, we don't even get to action until step four. So by all means... Let's validate the anger. Let's validate the emotions underneath the anger. Let's not validate behaviors that might get you thrown in jail, though, right? Right. I, I like to tell people the truth that I'm a very angry person. I, I have intense anger happen, you know, randomly throughout the week because anger happens to you. You don't wake up thinking, man, I want to be angry today. However, 
your spouse does something to you or, or fails to do something that she promised to do, or somebody does, you know, that never some, happens. What are you talking about? <laughs> some horrible crime, you know, you, you stub your toe or you get uh, a disappointing news from the IRS that you owe a billion dollars, you know, it's, something happens. And so, yeah, the anger just can be very sudden and intense and it can just fly and that's great. And you can immediately pivot from that to, okay, what are those emotions underneath? Like with the IRS example, like I'm scared shitless that I'm going to be broke because now I owe the IRS a fortune or I'm, I'm frustrated. I am disappointed. I, I'm so mad at my, you know, uh, employee because they, they messed this up, wh whatever. So we just want to get in touch with the truth first. Uh, accepting our emotions is getting in touch with our emotional truth and the intensity before we become curious about it. And then we finally act you, like you, you get to create time. Time is always on your side. You don't have to do anything out of anger, but everything you do should be informed by anger. If you have that anger. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So um, you mentioned a couple times this like shield emotion. So anger is like maybe this thing that pops up and is sitting here, but there's these underlying things. How, how do you, you know, when, when somebody's obviously raging or they're feeling it in themselves. And I, I, I approach a lot of this from a sort of a self-help. What do I do when I'm alone or when I'm with somebody and I'm aware of this knowledge, they're not necessarily like, how do you stay mindful or aware enough in the moment to deal with that in a healthy way versus a, you know, halt smash sort of way? Yeah, I definitely have a lot of patients that have such intense anger that they're, they're gone. They, they, they do not have that thinking part of their brain. They are primitive ape. They're, they're wanting to just cuss up a storm and they, they want to break things. So we have anger management groups. We have techniques that people can use to give themselves some distance. For example, it takes the average guy about 22 minutes from the heat of anger to get back to a state of calm. So go on a walk. You know, you have a go-to behavior that's safe so that you can get yourself back into your thinking brain, and then you can go through the steps. But for most people that don't have such an extreme uncontrollable rage disorder. We call it intermittent explosive disorder. Mm. Most of us can take a moment and just automatically get curious. Like, okay, I'm mad as hell. I'm pissed off and I'm scared. And I have disgust and disdain and hate and wh whatever the emotions might be. And in real time, you can process that and you can say, I'm going to make a decision to do an action that is proactive. I'm going to do an action that's going to help me. I'm going to do an action that's not going to make things worse. So you have that fuel of anger that you're channeling into a positive behavior. So it becomes a win-win. Right. Does, does a similar sort of thing work for people who are experiencing other levels of non, non what they might think of as non-optimum or potentially incendiary behavior uh, if they were to be uh, into the throes of grief or, you know, some other kind of uh, a fit of depression, for example, how, how do, how does that work? Right. What comes to mind is an example of suicide. Some mm -hmm. people are so distraught after loss, maybe the death of somebody, the loss of a relationship, whatever it might be that they just want to escape. And suicide is, uh, you know, solution to escape that's guaranteed. And so they start to have some ideation about that. Yeah. So obviously we want to have suicide safety as the priority. And we, we do all of those. We check all the boxes to make sure people are safe. However, with the psychotherapy aspect of it, we don't say, oh, suicidal thoughts, bad. You got to stop that. Instead, we say, no, curiosity. Like you have such intense emotions going on right now that you'd rather not even be on this planet what's happening there? What, what's the intensity of the sadness? What, what's your lack of hope, this hopelessness, th this, this lack of vision that things can be okay again? Let's become really curious why you have this intense compulsion to, to just escape and leave the planet. And then we can have a pathway to go into those vulnerable, deep, 
deep, sad emotions and start to validate them and say, yeah, you should be intensely sad because you just lost the love of your life. That makes sense. Right. How can we use that to channel it towards your desires? And eventually people will realize, I do want love. I want intimacy. I want a relationship, even if it's not with them. And you go back to those emotional needs that are not being met. And that's their pathway back to hope. Nice. Interesting. So we've always, so there's, there's always some kind of a, uh, well, hopefully there's always some kind of an approach here we can take. Do you have, you know, and, and again, it's not necessarily I'm looking for tricks here. I'm just looking for a, an approach that might help ground us in these moments of emotional intensity. Right. Because I, I guess you could call them tricks, but I'm really just kind of looking for like, how do we stay, you know, mindful, situational awareness, that kind of thing. Anything that we can do to keep that 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 discipline in place, <laughs> you know, or try to practice it. Right. You find couples are able to help each other with this. Are there techniques uh, for that or, or even friends or, or relations? Yeah. And in my book, I give credit to emotionally focused therapy. It's really the number one scientific evidence-based therapy for couples. And it's all about making your partner aware of your vulnerable emotions, becoming aware of your partner's vulnerable emotions, it automatically, for those of us that are not sociopaths and still have our mirroring neurons in the right place, it just automatically awakens empathy and you can reconnect without being defensive. So I, I recommend emotionally focused therapy to everybody and their dog because over 85% of couples report amazing results after just a short you know, number of sessions with that. Yeah, I actually cannot recommend that enough as well. Um, I not from the point of view of, you know, my wife and I have gone and done that, but literally just doing the um, the work we have done and the uh, work I've done, uh, you know, with emotions and stuff and bringing all of that into the mix has been, um, well, radical. <laughs> it's been it's been quite helpful you know to to bring all this in and that's really what was what was showing me or telling me how important this was was the behavioral changes over time that i was seeing both in myself and my partner and um and through the work we were doing trying to be more aware and accepting of our emotional life rather than that denialism what do you find are the most powerful reasons why or the reasons people stick on, you know, no, I must be a solid shield. I must be strong. I must be, you know, this, this thing that people have, which has been correctly and incorrectly at times labeled toxic masculinity or, you know, this emotional withdrawal that people engage in. Because it's, you know, there, there is this masculine thing and there is there are definitely problems with it. But I believe that phrasing like that tends to sometimes minimize what's going on on the other side of the spectrum, you know, where you, you might too much focus on one side, not the other. Right. Regardless of that, what are, what, what are the barriers you run into in trying to even get people to open up to this? Yeah, like you mentioned, the, the toxic masculinity and, and even just, you know, masculinity in general. I remember as a kid, I, I love my dad. He's the greatest dad ever. And he was just raising me the way that he was raised, I'm sure. But I remember feeling down one day. I didn't even really know why. I was just kind of feeling sad. And I noticed my dad was out in the backyard. So I went out just to kind of be around my dad. And he he saw me walking up. And I think he was you know doing some yard work. And he said, he's like, stop moping around. And I was just kind of taken aback. I'm like, oh, okay. And so like, I guess in retrospect, I didn't get the connection and intimacy that I wanted at that moment. And I was also given a message that don't come around me if you're looking all sad and there's no place for that here. And I was only, I don't know, six or seven, but I remember just uh, feeling this sort of you know, pressure. Like, I'm like, well, I want to, I want to be like my dad. I, I want my dad to love me. I want my dad to like me. So I got to take that lesson to heart. And so when I'm around people, I need to, I need to buck up and I need to appear to be happy. So we, every culture, and it's fun to have this conversation about different cultures. I lived in Japan for a long time 
throughout the world, it's like they have their own subtle art of gaslighting ourselves with emotional suppression. Right. And that's perpetuated by the the culture. It's it's what, you know, we've always done. You know, life, life, we're coming out of it was very, very hard to just survive for eons in this world. And in order to make it, you had to really be in those defense mechanisms. You had to be strong. You had to be stoic. You Emotions needed to be repressed just to kind of get by. At least that's what they believed. And now we're seeing the detriment of that. Well, exactly. And I think we're trying to struggle to find a, a healthy balance where we are not, you know, um, sort of, well, I think as as some people might put it or as some people might characterize it, you know, we're not trying to wimpify society by by bringing, you know, everybody down to crying, blithering messes every time they run into some problem. That's not what we want. But at the same time, if we don't get an honest assessment of ourselves and our inner life, then we bottle it up and we end up with the opposite extreme of child abuse, spousal abuse, cult manipulation, really abusive, nonsensical behavior, violent behavior, because the power of these emotions can be so strong when we bottle it up and try to deny its existence. So we don't want one extreme, but we don't want the other either. Trying to find this happy place in the middle. Any final bits of advice as to how we might get there? Well, as we talked about before the show briefly, I'm also fascinated with cults. And so I'd like to uh, maybe have the conversation again sometime with you, specifically applying radical emotional acceptance to cult deprogramming. And in the book, there's a chapter on a lady who got out of a toxic, abusive relationship and really connecting people, reconnecting people with their own emotions, getting back in touch with their emotional compass, I believe is an essential piece of helping them navigate out of those relationships, those, those cults, those abusive groups. I think that's, I think that's absolutely spot on. And uh, I think that's a great idea as a, as a more specialized uh, topic for discussion. So I think I will read that chapter specifically, <laughs> and I think we will get together on that because that's a, that sounds like a very good idea. I would very much like to do whatever I can to help my audience who are a lot of ex-cult members out there uh, or survivors of domestic violence and spousal abuse and predatory relationships too. Same dynamics, same emotional control, same nonsense. So I, I think that that could be uh, helpful if we were to do a more focused approach on how we might apply these five uh, fucks <laughs> to, to an ex-cult situation specifically or a coercive situation. But I think awesome. what we've covered here has been pretty pretty useful as a general basis. Do you, were there any points that we missed that I didn't ask you about that I should have or that you want to say? No, but I've really enjoyed speaking with you. I, I want to talk with you for hours because we have so many things in common that we're passionate about. And it's really been great to get to know you. People can go to RadicalEmotionalAcceptance.com. That's the hub for the newsletter and all that jazz. And if you guys wanted to help me out, I'd really appreciate it if you left uh, good book reviews on Amazon or Goodreads. That would be cool. Today's the release day. So want to get this information out there to as many people as possible to, to help people that really need it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the good news is we're getting this posted this week. So I don't have any big queue line up here. So we're going we're gonna to get this out this weekend. And I really do. I'm telling you, folks, I've, I, this is a simple book. It's easy to read. Um, it, it's not, you know, this big weighty tome. It's very practical. I do recommend it uh, from what I've read of it and in speaking with you today. I, I, I think that people will get something out of this. So uh, where can they find the book? And, and is it just published as a book or is there an audio and uh, digital where do, what, how do they get it? Yeah, it's anywhere uh, fine books are sold in the English world. You can go to RadicalEmotionalAcceptance.com if you want a signed copy. Everything will be on the website. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to buy your books, and it should uh, be available. There is a bestseller campaign going on right now for the ebook version of it. It's not yet an audiobook, but I'm hoping to get uh, Peter Coyote who did the four agreements because he's like my favorite narrator ever. So if anybody knows Peter Coyote, hit, hit him up for me. 
Awesome. Okay, good. Uh, maybe somebody, you never know. I, <laughs> I, I run into things all the time with people. So, okay, folks. Uh, so there's our show. I hope this was interesting, informative, and educational for you. It certainly was for me. And I want to thank uh, Dr. Alex again. Thank you, uh, Dr. Alex Wills, for appearing on the show here today. I very much appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. It's been great. Awesome. All right, folks, uh, hit that like button, hit that share button, get it out there, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>